Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Cindy LaJoy of Blue Collar Homeschool. And the title of today's show is Gifts for Your Journey. Cindy LaJoy is the mom to five young adults, all adopted from orphanages in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, three of whom are walking through life impacted by fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. She has homeschooled all five for the past 11 years, teaching virtually every subject with remarkable academic success, despite the myriad of learning disabilities presented around her kitchen table. Passionate about those who need other avenues to achieve success in adulthood, Cindy created Blue Collar Homeschool, which is a 9,000 plus member Facebook group and website where homeschool families can find encouragement for learners who are not headed down the traditional college path. Looking toward the future in ways which her three with FASD would likely struggle in the workforce, she led them through an exciting year-long adventure in creating Buckaroo's Slices and Scoops, a pizza and ice cream restaurant they developed and built out all by themselves. And now they run completely independently with occasional mentoring from mom and dad. Buckaroo's not only provides employment for her three, but intentionally hires a staff of those who need more support. Cindy is currently a special needs academic advisor for True North Homeschool Academy, where she assists families as they consider curricula and educational paths for their special young people. She is also a certified job coach for employment for those with special needs. Cindy's next personal career paths include one-on-one special needs education, and she is currently attending One Spirit Interfaith Seminary. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. So welcome to our Christmas episode titled Gifts for Your Journey, a conversation with Cindy LaJoy. I have had the blessing of knowing Cindy personally not too long. Actually, this year was when we started talking, but through Blue Collar Homeschool, which is on Facebook and is a website, and through watching her journey with her family and creating Buckaroos Slices and Scoops, we have connected and we have learned that our lives, though we are on opposites end of the country, our lives are similar in the paths that we're taking, the non-traditional paths that we're taking, especially when it comes to our, and I say this term loosely, kids, because they don't <laughs> like us using that word, <laughs> our, our kids' um, journeys, and especially just what we've learned. I, I have found a true friend and mentor in Cindy. And I could not think of a better, I'm going to say co-host today because uh, we are, we are going to share what's in our hearts for all those out there who need to hear 
the way we did things differently. And the gifts that we hope to give you today are gifts we wanted to give ourselves about 10 years ago, you know, when we started these journeys. So Cindy LaJoy, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you, Natalie. And what a wonderful introduction. That's so sweet. I, um, I feel very blessed to be here with you and, and your audience that's growing and you're offering something that is unique in the world and so desperately needed. Like you said, this is what we needed 10 years ago. Absolutely. And hopefully we can help someone who's in our shoes. Yes. Yes. So let's start. I know your story and, you know, we've spoken before on previous podcasts, but let's share a little bit about your journey and your FASD journey and especially those victories, because you have some pretty awesome victories to, to share. Yeah, we do. And for those who don't know me, I have five children. They were all adopted internationally from Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, the former Soviet Union. My oldest four are a year and four months apart, and they are 22, 22, 21, 21, and 17. And um, three of our children have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. One is diagnosed, the other two are biological siblings, and it was obvious, and we don't have the money to pay for testing, but it was very, very obvious. Once you've seen it, as many of you know, you know it. And so although they're undiagnosed, they also are pretty clear that they struggle with that. Um, we also do have a documented history of alcohol abuse from, from birth moms, so not a surprise. And we brought those particular three with FAS home at different times. My son, Kenny, um, came home at eight and a half, and he was from Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. And my daughters were 10 and almost 12 when they joined our family from Petropolsk, Kazakhstan. And then I have my sons, um, that's Angela and Alessia. And then I have my sons, Josh and Matt, who both came home as infants from um, orphanages in Kazakhstan. We homeschooled from the time the girls came home. Um, we've homeschooled for a dozen years now. And they graduated high school at 21. Um, the three of them, my other two graduated at, at the traditional age of 18. So, so here we are. And um, <laughs> wow, has it been a ride, but I'm not going to say that it's been bad because I love those three fiercely, absolutely fiercely. And I've probably grown most from parenting them. You know, I grew from my other two as well, but I grew as a human and a person of God far more with my three where the challenges were so difficult. And I grew in positive ways. And I worked on a few of my uh, my areas that needed working on with them. This maybe some of us can relate to, I hope. <laughs> I hope I'm not the only one. At no. <laughs> Absolutely. There are many of us, many of us. So tell us a little bit about your last year of homeschooling in Buckaroos, because I know when I tell people about that, they're just blown away by, by what you've done. So, yeah. So um, that's one of our major, major victories. We, in October of last year, pre-COVID, we started Buckaroos Slices and Scoops, and that was opened in October, October 15th. And of course, the virus came along in March. But um, the good news is they made it a year and um, they're doing well. I've uh, still got a long ways to go, but they're doing they're doing quite well. Um, we use that as a senior senior year project and their entire senior year. They planned with some guidance, of course. But anyone their age would need that. I want to emphasize that they did a heck of a lot of the work all by themselves. Anybody who's 19, 18, 19, 20, starting a business of their own has no clue what they're doing. My husband and I have been self-employed through the years in numerous different directions. And so we really talked it through as a family. They thought it was a great idea. 
And one of the premises was literally with all three of them, the areas where they struggled, one of the other was strong. And it has played out to be very true. Each sort of has their own area where they handle the majority of the work because the other one might really not be able to or would struggle mightily. And the three put together make a really good team. So Buckaroo Slices and Scoops, they did everything from the initial business plan. They did the research for all of the equipment. We happened to have space next to our other business that they are using as their space for the business, but they planned the layout of the entire restaurant. They did all the work. They helped build the walls. They helped do wiring. They laid the floors. They painted everything. They put in siding. Some of the stuff had to be subbed out. Of course, like, you know, some of the, the bigger electrical work, we had to do panels and stuff like that. And we had concrete work and some things to do, but they were involved in every aspect of it. Budgeting, hiring, it's just everything. Cost analysis for the menu. I literally explained what needed to be done and they did it because our kids can do a lot if they're given the tools to do it with and the opportunity. And yeah, it may be slower. Some, sometimes it was definitely slower. Sometimes it was trial and error. And we had to allow for that to occur so they can learn from that experience. But I am super proud to say that they are running that business virtually 100% on their own now. I was in there for the first couple months and realized that a lot of their employees were turning to the mom in the room and not them. And we were working with them to be you know, the managers of the store. And so I pulled out, we saw that they were handling things quite well. And then things just sort of took off even more and they grew in independence. They grew in making mistakes, but everything from basic repair and cleaning of the major $60,000 oven that we got on eBay much cheaper <laughs> to, to um, answering a lot of the accountant questions. They do need an accountant. They can't handle that level of the finances, but tons of businessmen don't. So I don't consider that necessarily a disability issue. Lots of people who are in business, that's why they hire an accountant, right? They have reprimanded employees on their own and done a fabulous job and had those employees come back and self-correct. Two thirds of our staff has disabilities as well, some of them pretty severe. So I would say that that's been an absolute enormous success. And I have seen growth in those three, like I never would have imagined seeing. So I really do want to say we're not exceptional. If we can do it, you can too with your kids. It may look really different. I'm not, you know, of course, you're not going to make a pizza and ice cream place, but there are ways to be incredibly successful, but you may have to think outside the box considerably. And we did. This allowed for us to alter the environment in ways that make sense too, and offer training numerous times before they were turned loose to do it themselves and have cheat sheets, notes everywhere and backup systems in place. You know, I'm not pretending that there aren't some, some things that have been done to alter, making it easier. We were gifted with a lovely gesture and a very meaningful one with a POS system, which is a point of sale system, which is the cash register and delivery, online delivery system from a company who their system really works well for people with disabilities because a lot of it's visual. That made a big difference. We have a couple of uh, workers with Down syndrome who are taking orders and easily punching them in themselves. So you can tell that that's probably a system that is well suited for that environment, but the success has been amazing. You all even won an award for yeah. you. Can you yes, talk about that? Yeah. We actually won for our, our town about, uh, I guess we're probably about 25,000 now. They won best of the Valley for pizza and best of the Valley for ice cream. That is awesome. They're partnering with a couple of other businesses right now that are working with them and just got a really lovely compliment again today from someone who said their product is so consistent and so terrific. 
they're buying it and then selling it to their customers. And we're thrilled by that. So, you know, slow and steady, but it's going, it's going way better than I would have thought. I, I really planned on thinking I was going to have to work in there for two years. Wow. That was the initial plan. And then we realized their growth is being stunted by me being there and they're handling it. But when you start it from start to finish, you know it inside and out. So one of the reasons we wanted to do pizza is because all of the ingredients were out in front of you, sort of yeah. like a subway. Very visual. Yeah. 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 And so like you, you don't have to remember where did you put it in a frenzy because your brain doesn't hold on to that. So the type of business and ice cream as well was really selected for the ease of someone who has memory issues. And we nailed that one. So we that's did. an amazing accommodation that you made in yeah. this whole project and endeavor and business. It's thinking about, uh, you know, just the accommodations that others may say, oh, how did you do it? It was just second nature to you. Well, I think homeschooling helped that considerably because I didn't send my kids off to school. And I know some do, and I'm not denigrating that at all. But because I worked with them every moment of every day for 10 years, I knew what they knew and I knew where their challenges were intimately. And I had already adapted the home environment, the school environment, I should say. Well, the home environment too. I have labels on all my shelves for where things go because Kenny still can't put them in the right place. He, he struggles far more with memory issues than the girls do. So, I mean, like, yeah, we, we just sort of lived an adapted life to begin with because mm -hmm. we wanted him to be able to do as much for himself as he could. My daughter, um, one of them struggles really badly with math, which is sort of typical for mm -hmm. FASD kids. Mm -hmm. We got to third grade. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But through repetition, she is able to make change. And we weren't quite sure that was going to happen, but we have gotten to the point she can make change really well. She does it very accurately. And for us, you know, that's great. If you can that's do that, wonderful. You're pretty, yeah, yeah. Because time and money, we know, are, are the two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and time, she still can't read an analog <laughs> clock. But Kenny is yeah. wizard. Kenny is unusual that way. Yeah. Um, and does pretty well with math. But Kenny did, believe it or not, he did all the way to pre-calc. He's a very, very bright young man mm -hmm. who is really, really hindered by memory issues. Yeah. But so, you know, as you can hear, as I'm sharing, the strengths and the weaknesses complemented each other. So Kenny goes behind and double checks the math. And, you know, if they're doing a little more math with counting the drawer at the end of the day and something gets screwed up, he says, okay, I'll figure that one out. Yeah. You can go, you know, clean up or whatever. Alessia is incredibly organized. She is like the person every office staff, every office wants to have as their staff because she will have everything labeled and color coded and everything else. Nice. And so her keeping track of product and inventory and aging of, you know, food and, you know, when to discard and not, and Kenny would never be able to do that. Angela is fabulous with people. They, they all three are pretty good with, but Angela really does well with training and um, her gift is those people skills, but they have all learned social media. They're posting regularly on Facebook. I see. And I got them started and walked away and they are doing a really good job. And there's some so, adorable posts I see too. Not, <laughs> not just about the delicious, like I know uh, this month you had this wonderful ice cream flavor, like cinnamon roll or something. It looked yes, fabulous. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And, but then, yeah. you know, then there'll be a cute post about like a Christmas tree looking like a pizza slice. You know, I, I love following <laughs> buckaroos on, on social well, thank media. Thank you. They you know, but we really did teach from the ground up. Our kids worked in my husband's businesses. We had a restaurant at our local airport, which really caters to um, the Telluride ski resort area. We aren't in Telluride, but they fly in here and drive an hour. And we had that their entire childhood. They worked there. We talked business at home. We, my kids knew how to read a P&L by the time they were 12 or so. 
So at church meetings, once they were, you know, confirmed in members, they asked really good questions at church meetings about the PL and the church. So we built on those skills, but I literally taught everything. We taught like, how do you start a business? How do you create a business plan? What are all the parts and pieces? But I did not do it. They wrote it. They built it. They even presented to a couple of investors outside family friends who wanted to help and offer some, some funding for this a little bit. And they had to put together the presentation and answer all the questions. And these friends knew sort of what we were trying to accomplish and were not easy on them. Mm-hmm. And yet they passed with flying colors because they really did do everything. We, uh, prior to opening, six months prior to opening, we went to the National Pizza Convention in Las Vegas and they talked to everybody at every booth. I didn't go in and talk to them. They talked to people about insurance and all kinds of things. And they really did learn it really from the ground up. This was not mom built this and then they did it. Mom guided and taught how to do it and then they did it. And I honestly can't think of anything I did in lieu of them, which that alone to me was a huge success. And you know what? That is a perfect segue into our our next topic point of discussion, talking about young adults with an FASD or other brain-based diagnoses. You and I both know that we, we use air quotes with this road to adulthood because this road is just, it, it, it's basically infinite. We know that we're in for the long haul. And we also know that there are things that we incorporate, like you and I love using the word interdependence because it's a fabulous word to use. Safety nets. Um, in discussing with you once, we talked about that their lives are smaller. And that's okay. And there's not a negative connotation with that. It's more of just, they're happy with having goals that, you know, we may see as, oh, you don't want to do more, you know, you know, or maybe society sees as, do you want to do more? But for us, it's learning how to say, you know what, they're happy with that. And that's good. So, Mm -hmm. so let's share with our audience, how you and I have talked about these topics. We talk about interdependence and for us out here in the countryside, it was buying a little less than four acres with a couple of detached workshops and taking one of those workshops and eventually converting it into a tiny house for our son, because we know that he's going to need, he wants his own space. Like right now he's, he's in the apartment above our garage. So he's got his own space. He's got his own fridge and microwave and stuff like that. But yet if he goes through, you know, the, the breezeway, he can get into the main house and, you know, mom's cooking is there if he needs it or anything like that. So you and I have both really embraced interdependence. Let's just talk a little bit about the beauty of these things, because you and I see these as gifts and let's just share with our audience about that. Well, you know, and I think that this, this word interdependence is so important and I think part of what has been lost in our culture is a strong, strong sense of interdependence and interconnectedness between everyone. I'm not talking people with disabilities and people who don't have a disability. Our families are fractured. We live far away from grandparents where grandparents could help take care of children and and children were there to help take care of grandparents. There's this sense now that you're supposed to take pride in being independent and going it alone and picking yourself up by your bootstraps And I'm sorry, I don't feel that that's how God ever designed us to be. I think that, you know, we were literally born for community and we have sort of rejected that in all kinds of ways in the last 70, 80, 100 years. The more independent we are, 
the more somehow we feel successful. And yet now there is this, every time you turn around, there's a news article about pre-COVID even, I want to emphasize that, about the loneliness factor for people in America. Yeah. Singles who are young adults are alone in apartments, isolated, no friends or few friends. And even if you have friends, you're still not having somebody there to come home and talk to. You have seniors who are dying of loneliness, literally. Um, you know, failure to thrive hits in the senior years just like it does an infant. And interdependence is a good thing. It's not a negative thing. And when I really sat down and explained it to our kids, particularly Kenny, who now is um, 22, he went through a huge time of feeling a lot of guilt about going to be a burden on his parents and on his family. He ached with that, actually. We had multiple conversations, but it was when we started really going to this interdependence thing. And I explained to him, what a gift it was going to be if, if he didn't happen to be able to be independent when I was older to have someone there to be there with me and to be a companion in my life with and, and his dad as well. And that, you know, as we aged and our body didn't work as well, his body was going to work really <laughs> yeah. well and help us in all kinds of ways. And we would be helping him and he would be helping us, yeah. our daughters too, if they ended up at home. But, but really our whole family talks and thinks this way because we all know we can contribute in certain ways. And none of us wants the other to be alone. There's a beauty to that that isn't at all negative. No. We were sort of built to be living more connected than we are these days. But it feels really outside the norm now. And it makes everybody feel like somehow they have failed as a parent or as a young person. If somehow you're still rooted at home. I'm not just saying living at home. If you're really rooted there. And I'd like to just ask, so what's wrong with that? Really? Like you love people? You're with them? Why should somebody... And I'm not even talking disabilities here. Why should you feel like you have to move out and you have to live in a place, maybe with some stranger, a lousy roommate. Some people get lucky, but lots of people go through really bad roommates. Some stranger you don't know so that you can pretend that you're all grown up. Interdependence, if you can get there in your head, is in my mind, it's absolutely beautiful. And I do think it's how we're called to live. Maybe not as, as completely as it may be with somebody with a disability, but you know, we really, I, I go back to community, 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 and that community can be two or three people and it can be a large community, but we are built for that. We yes. are built for isolation. Yes. And I also, I want to share with you something funny because we've been talking about a few years down the road when we take the one workshop we have in mind to convert for the tiny house for Nick, our daughter, who's five and a half, and she's, she's typically developing. She has shared now that she's like, okay, mommy. So when, when I'm grown up, where's my house going to be? (laughs) It's like, we're going to have the big house and then the two other houses. And she's already telling me what color she wants her house to be and everything. And it's funny because out here where we live, people actually do that. So our neighbors across the street, they're lovely family you know, they bought a a big chunk of land. Their daughter has one, their grown daughter, and now their grown, you know, granddaughter has one. Same thing with our neighbors on the other side who, again, lovely couple, they huge chunk of land and they sectioned off a chunk for his grown son and his wife to live out here where we're at. It's actually pretty typical, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where I live, it is far more typical as well, because I live in rural Colorado, but also things are changing rapidly. And I'm trying to remember the exact percentage and I can't pull it off the top of my head, but it was either 48 or 52% recently in a major magazine. Can't remember which one it was, but it stood out for me. It was either 48 or 52% of people 39 years and younger live with their parents. 
this isn't an anomaly anymore. This is becoming the norm. In many ways, that may help families like ours, yours and mine, to feel that this is more normalized. It may help our children feel like, well, lots of people are still home when they're in their 20s or 30s, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the economic, the national economic situation is creating this, this new culture of multi-generational living. I think that we're, we're beginning to shift in our thinking as a culture around this. I don't know if we've actually grasped just how much this is, this is occurring, but that may also help, help normalize what may have to happen for our kids. But it, the most important place it has to be normalized is in the hearts and minds of the parent and the child. Yes. And that's why you and I are reaching out today to especially parents and caregivers, because we know in our journeys, so many of the gifts that were blessed to us, we feel like God has placed us on our journeys. We embrace them and we know that they're different. And we know that, you know, not everybody gets to experience those victories that we get to experience that are so different. We also know, and this is a part of it, which it kind of is, is a companion along with this journey is when we have children that are differently abled in any capacity, we have to grieve. There's yep. a grieving process. And we also, you and I have talked about that during that grieving process for us, particularly it was when our son was hospitalized and when we just learned about everything. And that was like a kickstart for us. It broke us, but then God placed light in places where we thought could not be light. Mm -hmm. our grieving process, but yet it continues, you know, there's been some grief because our son turned 18 and, you know, he sees his typically developing peers, you know, doing different things. However, since COVID, most everybody's staying home now and learning <laughs> online. So it's really actually not, you yeah. know, but you and I both have discussed this, that there is a grieving process that we, we have to allow ourselves to go through. And also for us, we have clung to our faith that, yes, you know, the Lord has just brought us through. So let's just talk a little bit about that because it's a hard thing to discuss, but it's something that we need to discuss before we can talk about all the, the beauty on this journey. We, we need to well, acknowledge the grief. I think that it's hard to discuss for some people because it feels like somehow you're grieving that your child is who they are and that feels wrong. And it's not wrong. Your child is certainly grieving and you are also grieving the future that was envisioned that is not going to be able to come to fruition. Sometimes we're grieving the loss of, you know, logic, the loss of memory, the loss of function. I mean, we grieve in like little, little pieces. And as a homeschooler, I grieved it all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I remember when I was beginning to start feeling like, oh, I, you know, I think I may have a sense of what this is. As often happens with kids with FASD. Nobody knows the umbrella is there and they find the individual parts and pieces of disability that, that are there and they name it. Yeah. So we were getting things stacked on each other, like, you know, okay, well, we definitely have auditory processing disorder. My, my son also happens to have cleft lip and palate and a pretty bad one bilateral. He had two clefts and we had speech issues. He also had articulation issues based not just on the cleft, but because he couldn't hear the sound correctly. So we couldn't replicate it, which complicated phonics. Kenny came home to us at eight and a half and he wasn't reading at a first grade level by the time he was 12. I grieved the fact that learning was so difficult for him. My girls were, they struggled and they moved along at a much slower pace than their same age peers would be. But pieces of learning were a little easier. The lack of logic was abundant. And it sort of didn't make sense. We weren't 100% sure with our girls until maybe four or five years in. 
because we were also dealing with English language learning and everything else. But I remember Kenny was about 16 and it just all added up in my head. And we were trying to pursue getting a diagnosis. And it took us a year, of course, to get into a clinic. And I remember talking about it in church at Joys and Concerns time. And it was it was the moment I broke. It was the moment when it all became real to me. And I think my grieving started. And I just, I tried to speak asking for prayer around this, that we get in to get a diagnosis because we really did need to know for sure what we were dealing with. But as I started to speak, I almost couldn't even get the words out. And I, I realized in that moment also, oddly, that my job was to educate. What in the heck am I talking about? Because no one in the room knows just how bad what this is that we're talking about. And I am going to use the word bad. You know, we don't need to sugarcoat this. No one wants to walk around having this. Everybody kind of knew Kenny struggled to learn, but they didn't all know to the degree that it was seriously impacting him as often these kids can do. He covered pretty well. Kenny was really social. And also we were fortunate in the fact that he actually was really bright underneath that damaged brain. But I remember sobbing and feeling and trying to explain, you know, the statistics that we have, everybody knows, right? Yep. the odds. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm literally saying my son might even die in early death mm-hmm. and my daughters might too. Yeah. And it was the weight, you know, there was the weight of three possibly. There was the weight of how in the world can I help him move forward? And how can I, how can I accurately express what this feels like? And then there's the fear of, oh, oh man, what do I do? Mm-hmm. the grieving oh boy you have to do it yeah because until you do you actually aren't going to be as effective no you got to feel what you got to feel yeah yeah and it'll come back it'll come back in cycles because like you yeah. your your moment in church my moment was when our son was in the hospital and it was the first time he had ever been away from us and he's in this hospital you know and, and we're just trying to get him stabilized and just like you I was sobbing on the floor and that was my prayer you know, yeah. I, I was in on the floor, just sobbing, almost in a ball and just just crying out to the Lord. And in that moment, you know, I think about that moment now, looking back now, and I think about what you've done and what I've done and what others, so many others out there are doing. We have to have that moment because I think that moment is a turning point for us. I think, I think it's, and I don't consider it rock bottom. I consider it okay, you're done. Now we're moving forward. But that grief, you said it so perfectly, Cindy, that it's what we expected things to be like. It's what the community or society or even our relatives or our oh, you know, family and friends and whatnot. It's what everybody else expected. And, it, and, it, and this is the unexpected. However, there is beauty in the unexpected. Well, and you know, I I was thinking of a couple of other things as you were speaking here. And one of the things I think is most important about recognizing the grief process here is you do not get to acceptance until you grieve. That's right. Another thing I wanted to point out is one of the things that I was grieving and I continually grieved was the judgment that was thrown at me, either like, you know, shade or, you know, things that I'd hear later from couple of particular family members who did not get it. Yes. That we the parent incredibly differently. We had to create yes. really strong firm boundaries to keep those kids safe. And to accommodate. And that, we had yeah. people question decisions about 
dating and quit, quit decisions about not trying to start driving a car yet and all kinds of things. And ultimately, I want to say sadly and yet sort of not, and it wasn't about proving anything wrong, but you know, people really, really told us we were holding our kids back because they didn't see all of the disability we were seeing all, all day, every day, and kept pushing us to put our kids behind the wheel of a car at 16. And they were absolutely not ready. Their brain couldn't pull it together. And honestly, Kenny will never drive. He won't even try. And he, honestly, that's really smart. It took our girls and they both got their driver's license, but they were 21. Yeah. And it took them about three years of regular practice. And that's something people didn't understand that it took a while for all that to start developing their brain and start pulling together so that some of it was automatic. Part of the grieving for me was I'm going to spend the rest of my life with people judging what my kids are or aren't doing. It was painful. It still is at moments. It's less now because they're adults and people tend to have less to say, yeah. but a lot of their childhood was spent with me feeling less than mm -hmm. and feeling like I'm fighting so hard to do the very best I can for my children with things that people don't understand are going in our, on in our home every day, all day. And their pain and their grief over things not working right, man, the tears, and no one understood that. And then they were judging us for the decisions we had to make that were very intentional because our kids were built differently. Mm -hmm. The grief is real. Yeah. And, and, it's, and I want to emphasize something else, Natalie. It is absolutely not about you wishing you had a different kid. It's not about you wishing even that they were different other than you. You, I'm sure we've all thought time and time again, we sure wish that they weren't going through it. Yes. But we're going through something too. And if you don't acknowledge that, sorry, you're being false. Yeah. And you have to be honest. And you have to be honest before yourself, before your friends, and before God, before you're going to be able to move forward and do things that are going to impact your kids in a really positive way. Otherwise, you're parenting from a place of fear, a place of continually beating your head against a wall, wishing it was different rather than accepting that it is. And that doesn't mean you don't keep working towards you know, growth, which will come hugely later, more than you think, but you got it. You got to get to the point where you've kind of cried it out, yeah. where you have moved forward in a healthy way with accepting what is, and then saying, okay, now let me rub my hands here. That's What's going right. what can I do with this? You know? And and that's where our advocacy kicks in. I really oh. felt like after I grieved and after we learned and after we got a diagnosis and, and after we learned the science behind the way our children's brains works. Then I was like, just like you, just rubbing my hands together and saying, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can about this. And I am going to, if there, if there are paths that he cannot go down, then I'm going to help make them. And a lot of people think of us like a bulldozer mom, not just a helicopter mom, but a bulldozer mom. But, <laughs> but at the same time, no matter what the condition, if you're a parent of a child where there's no opportunity, then you make that opportunity or you help them make it together. Yes. And, and I feel like that's what you and I both did in different ways. It's totally different ways. And, you know, if we only had one, I don't think we would have taken the financial risk, which we did. And we will be paying on for a few years for our kids. But with three and one of my daughters tried to go out in the world and get a real job at 19. Um, she was still in high school, but was trying to work as a caretaker. She was already doing it, being paid by a family friend who wanted them to be able to claim it for um, Medicare. And so she said, can you go get your, you know, your little certification so that then I can, you know, we can do it under the umbrella of this other company. And she came home the second day sobbing and said, I don't get it. I can't get the training. And that was for a home health care aid. 
And that was a big eye-opener because she is my more highly functioning child. And yet we saw, my husband and I both really woke up with that one. Like, oh, wow, if she can't handle that training, what are we going to do? We have to begin to think really differently. And with three, we definitely took a bigger risk than I would with one, I think. But we thought, well, you know, whether they stick with this long-term or not doesn't really matter. They will gain skills through the process of creating it. And then they will gain skills through running it for, you know, the first few years as they get their feet wet in the employment world. They'll be able to point to something they really accomplished and they'll gain huge confidence, which has really proven true. But you do have to really, you have to start thinking differently because it isn't going to happen automatically for those kids. It's yeah. just not but, you know, I would add that God shows up in absolutely surprising ways. I know you have secular listeners as well as those that are people of faith. But, you know, we had people help us right and left with these kids from day one. We really realized that I would like to say we were raising them for God. Mm. They were a gift to us. And we were all of them. I feel like I'm leaving out my other two. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who are equally loved and adored and are doing their own things in their own ways, but don't struggle in the same ways. The ways in which God has powerfully worked in our lives, I can't begin to tell you. People came out of the woodwork to support these kids in their business this year, and they should have closed. Literally, they should have closed. They got this lovely compliment from somebody today, but my kids have also really got it. They have been helping people all year long. They have reached out to people and given donations where they could, they have, when their employees were all home, because some of them really couldn't safely right. stay home. We had, they had to lay some of them off because the governor said we had to. Two or three times they went by with little gift bags to their homes and little bonus checks so they could have a little bit of spending money. And I see the care that they put in the world and they do get that God is blessing them. God has managed to keep them open during a time when they just shouldn't have, it just shouldn't have happened. And that they, that, that help comes around. And every time that it's felt like maybe we're up against a wall, it sort of breaks open. And for me and for my family, that's really been because of the faith that we have. And we recognize this isn't really just about us. Part of the reason I'm here with you sharing is because I don't want anybody else suffering the way we suffered, the way you and I did, exactly. the way our families did. There was so little out there and there still is so little. You're helping change that. Well, you yeah, helped me. You have, <laughs> you were my inspiration, well, you know, <laughs> um, we, you know, we have an obligation to be there for one another and I don't want anybody being lonely on this journey. No. And it's hard. Mm. It is the single hardest thing I've ever done. We have a lovely, lovely life. We have a, a wonderful family. I wouldn't trade any of my kids for any amount of money, but it has been so darn hard earned and our faith has carried us through with that. And God shows up. God just shows up. When you feel like you can't do it anymore, God shows up. And maybe it's going to show up for somebody in the form of this podcast. I have no idea. But I think if you happen to be a person of faith going through some of these challenges, just trust. You know, God really does have your back and God has those kids back. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you sit back and wait. You still got to put in the work. And so do your kids. But there is nothing more powerful either than seeing God at work in these experiences and put yourself out there. Keep trying. 
Yes. And I think now we're getting to the gifts part, the gifts that we could give to our younger selves. So this is me talking to me about 10, 15 years ago when we started, when uh, characteristics started coming and, and, you know, we started, like you said, the things diagnoses started piling up and this and that, and, and, you know, we were waiting to see people and whatnot. I am going to start with, and, and something you, you said just so perfectly, one of the gifts that I would give to myself and I give to all you out there that are on this journey and you're still wrestling with why isn't my child doing this? Comparison is a thief of joy and stop comparing. Yes. You are not meant to be on this journey to compare your child or your family with any others. And I mean that not family, other relatives, anyone. No. And like you said, you said it so perfectly. People ask, you know, why isn't your son driving at the age of 16, 18? Or why aren't they doing this? Just shut it off. It's not even worth your energy. I spent so much time comparing and oh yes we can do this and we can try this thinking that our son wouldn't do things when again after that grief after that brokenness and rebuilding I learned I educated myself and I learned that it's his brain can't do something it's not that he won't do it he can't do it it's not that he's being disrespectful it's he's overstimulated or he's dysregulated and so for us a gift that I would give to you out there and to my younger self is just stop comparing, stop comparing. There is no comparing in this journey. That is, man, that's so huge. And I, I know it's so easily said. And for both of us, it wasn't so easily done. It wasn't. And yet maybe hearing our stories helps people stop comparing and realize that that needs to be thrown away. Gosh, that's just so, that's so important now. Like that's and I'm still not so great at it. And yet I know we are all built differently for a purpose and a reason. I would say, and I wrote down some notes here, I would have a heck of a lot more compassion for myself and what I didn't know when I didn't know it. I have apologized to my kids more than once about just not understanding when they were young or when we first, they weren't super young when we got them, you know, a couple of them were a little older, but you don't know what you don't know. And then when you know it, you do better. But when you don't know it, you know, you can't snap, snap your fingers and make it happen. And there were times when, like I assigned intent to behaviors that later I understood as you were just talking about, there was no ill intent. There was literally an, a, a lack of capacity. For example, when Kenny lost like four jackets the first year, expensive winter coat type jackets in Colorado. And, you know, we thought he was just being careless and didn't care. And of course he was a new child to us at eight and a half. I didn't know. He literally couldn't remember where he put it. And I got frustrated over things like that. The first three years for us were really, really tough. But as I looked back, I began to really feel incredibly guilty over some of the things that I had said or done. And I beat myself up over that one for a long time. And then, you know, I realized I wasn't treating myself with the same compassion and forgiveness that I would offer my children and that God offers us because often we're harder on ourselves. And I, once I knew better, I did better. And that matters. And it takes a while, just like it takes my kids a while to learn things. It took me a while to learn something too. 
And if I could be patient with them through that, I needed to offer myself that same patience. And when I finally got to that point, maybe three or four years ago, it did take quite a while. And it was after a few conversations with them and the sweetness with which I was treated. Yeah. Yeah. That's the gift I would give myself. One of them would be recognizing you're doing the best you can. Not only do we give grace to our children and to others, but we especially need to give it to ourselves because this is such a hard, hard journey. Beautiful journey, but it is hard. Well, and, you know, once I figured out what was going on and we, you know, even before we had a diagnosis, we already knew it was what it was. I was so able to forgive. I was so able to overlook or work with certain things. I, I was able to adjust my expectations for them, but it wasn't with me. Do you have another one? I do. I do. I would give the gift of find other parents who are on the same journey and talk to them and learn from them that you and I are trying to do with the folks that we, you know, us through FASD hope you through blue collar homeschool and buckaroos and all of your wonderful work, find those parents that you trust and those people that you trust enough to share even those dark and ugly places and that they can say, you know what? I went through that and let me share something with you, whether it be through a support group, find those people that you can connect with. We're talking about connection and, and yes. connection in our families. We need that connection as part of our support because we have an important job. We, we are, we are raising these kids again, you know, our, <laughs> our, our grown kids would be like that, nah, but we're raising these wonderful people. Their lives are going to teach people about how God works miracles. So learn as much as you can and find your tribe. Like I consider you to be part of my tribe. Again, when I yes. thought of doing this Christmas episode, I couldn't think of anybody else I wanted to do it, but with you, because, and, and you and I, like we've probably physically talked, not maybe a handful of times, but we've connected, you know? Yeah. And I would say that because you're not alone. And that would be the gift within this gift is fine connection in another parent who's in this journey and know that you're not alone. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I felt, I still feel alone. There aren't many. And then unfortunately, as you and I have talked about before, a lot of the folks who are doing so are sinking. They're trying so hard. That is not a judgment. I don't want anybody hearing that. They can't find doctors that help them. They can't get diagnosis. They can't get meds. If their kids need meds, we've been lucky and haven't had that other than ADD meds. And a lot of the secondary behaviors have crept into the relationships and their whole family or their relationship with their child is sinking. I would say, try and find even one person who offers you hope, not just the, not just sharing the despair, because although that's helpful in a moment to blow off steam and get rid of it, it doesn't lead you to the light. And I think that one of the things that's so important about your work is you're trying to lift. There are lots of success stories with FASD kids. There are, they are out there. We don't hear about them because they're success stories because things are kind of going okay. You hear about it. You know, it's the squeaky gets the grease, right? Find yourself any special needs parent, seriously, anybody who is hopeful and, and lets you share your grief in a moment and then says, okay, so now, what are we going to do? My best friend has a son who is high-functioning autistic. He actually came out and helped us with the, the startup of Buckaroos as an intern. 
Um, he's a student at um, USC in Southern California. And the minute we met six years ago, one of the biggest reliefs for both of us was we had a non-judgmental presence of someone who was doing a really good job. Things were going okay. There were bumps, of course, and we didn't like not acknowledge that. But that was the first time I really actually felt like I had kind of the support that I needed. And sometimes all it takes is one. Find yourself that, even if it's just the one person. But I felt alone the whole time up until then. It was, uh, that was more painful than what I was dealing with every day at home. (laughs) One of the things that I would really gift myself would be a respite. And boy, I did not value that enough at all. And it felt like I couldn't. And then we didn't really have money for me to get away. And what I needed was to get away. Like I didn't need an hour. I need to get away, girl. What what really brought this to light was so interesting to me because, you know, especially living with three who struggle in all kinds of ways with logic and reason and memory and all the things that we all know comes with this. It's hard to like get through to someone who's just not getting it, no matter how hard they're actually trying. And then to witness the 15 different ways you try to explain it. So the respite piece, I now realize I have been away from home a lot this year for significant periods of time. I am still really struggling to sort of relax. Decompress, decompress. Yeah, like like to find my old center. Yeah, yeah, decompress. I realized how deeply I had been impacted by every day being in the trenches and not really getting true breaks much at all. And my husband worked long hours to support us. And I really, and I, we didn't have family. I didn't have help. It was really me 24 seven. And then the school part too, Mm -hmm. which compounded it. But in order to make it really lovely for everybody else, I stuffed a lot. And the respite, I think, would have put me on the other end of it now that I'm sort of like on one end of it for the moment. I think I would have been emotionally healthier. I think that's a huge gift that we need to share with anybody listening is is respite. However, it comes to you, something that is not only time away, but something that renews you. So like for me, and when we don't, again, we don't have opportunities for respite, but, and I've shared this. One of the things that is respite for me is actually doing these podcasts because I'm sitting in a quiet room (laughs) with an adult that I love talking with, you know, and, and I'm talking grown up things. I'm not, like you said, I'm, I'm not explaining things five times or I'm not explaining why you can't put that over there or anything like that. So Honestly, this podcast is respite for me because I enjoy learning. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy being with other people. And again, it's like, you know, being alone and having some quiet. So however you can get your respite, yes, 100%, Cindy, give yourself some respite. You need it in in, in whatever form. For me, you know, choir once a week was a huge help. Yes. It wasn't, I realize now that it wasn't enough, uh, you know, but sometimes hindsight's really 2020. I needed, I needed a little more than an hour a week and live and learn. And maybe somebody can learn from my mistakes. I would have come back more me with my kids. I wish I could have been a little, a little more me. And I don't even know if I can exactly explain what that is, but maybe some of you get what no, I'm talking about. I understand. About. I understand. Don't lose who you were before you became a mom. Yeah. And I did lose that. I, yeah. I, I'm seeing that. I'm really aware of that now as I can't even figure out what I like to do anymore because so much of myself was invested in my kids. Yeah. Yeah. And my other two had different, you know, had different challenges. I, I didn't not have challenges there. We have one that had reactive attachment disorder, which was hugely about relationship yeah. and 
it'd be really super present. And my other one is twice exceptional and has learning challenges as well as giftedness. I, I needed to make space for myself in my own life. And I didn't, I didn't succeed at that very well, but that would be a huge gift I'd give myself. <laughs> yeah. And these gifts we're going to write in our program notes for today's episode. We're calling this gifts for your journey. This is our Christmas episode because these are the gifts that we want to share with you as moms. And we were talking before we started recording we are, we just crossed one bridge, but where we're at is like a pit stop for the next bridge. You know, the journey never ends. There are bridges that are going to be challenging. Some of them are going to have boards missing and the rope's going to be loose and, and others are going to be a little more sturdy, but we're talking to you affectionately from, from a pit stop, you know, yeah. on, on this journey. So we're talking about gifts we would give to ourselves gifts we could give to other people. This is, you know, we, we celebrate Christmas. It's the ultimate gift. God gave us his son. Like I said, I I wanted you to be on this episode because your life has been such a gift to me that your family and seeing you, even though you may not, we joke and you're like, I still don't get it, Natalie, (laughs) but you are, you're such an inspiration. And we, you and I just want to be able to do that for other families who are on this journey. And we know that for every one, two of us chatting right now, there are thousands and thousands of of families that are not. And this is where we need to bring this out. And you're doing it through your experiences. We're doing it through FASD Hope and through our experiences. You and I are collaborating in 2021. I'm not going to talk further about that. That's going to be a surprise gift for you all. But let's end this episode, this lovely Christmas episode. I like to end with hope takeaways. And I pray that this entire episode has been a hope takeaway for you because we are here. We are here in different ways, but we are here. Cindy, through her blue collar homeschool community, through Buckaroos, us through the podcast, the website, what can we give to our listeners, especially those who have kids with an FASD or another, any type of diagnosis? What can we tell them? And they're not sure of the road ahead. What can we give to them to say, it's okay, keep going? Oh, wow. Your kids are beautifully and wonderfully made. They are a gift. And although they don't fit the norm, they are perfectly imperfect in exactly the same way you and I are. It's a different kind of imperfection that's inside of them. I can tell you because I know some people really, really struggle with relationship with their kids. If you pay attention to the compassion and understanding of the disability pieces, you will avoid huge amounts of the secondary behavioral challenges that come before you. I am being absolutely honest and most people will not believe me. My son is about as FASD as you can get. My daughters are really clearly there. Our family has never had my children argue once because we built, I think one of the biggest pieces is the faith was the major component in our family. And it isn't the faith that does it. It's the teachings that go along with the faith. We saw each other as human beings. Nobody was less than because they struggled. They might have to learn it differently. They might have to hear it 15 times to get it. That's not to say that we didn't occasionally sort of probably mom raise her voice because occasionally, let's face it, y'all got go mom on them. But that's normal stuff, right? That's just normal. But I have three of the most loving, compassionate, kind, and I would say bright 
kids that any parent could ever want to have. I am not sugarcoating it. The relationship I have with my kids that do have it is no different than the relationship I have with my other two. You can achieve this. I think we too often hear stories of families that are imploding. And there are real obvious reasons, and I will admit, of course, it depends upon the degree to which the damage has occurred. But we parents can cause more damage. I want to emphasize that again. You can create more damage by not getting it. Once you get it and you shift how you parent, the sky is the limit. And you can have these rewarding, redeemed relationships with your kids. And it isn't all awful. The foundation of trust and love and admiration that we all have for one another, I literally wouldn't change for any other family. My kids are different. They are also changed, and I would say much deeper because of their experiences and the the struggles that they have been through have shaped them in ways that only hard things shape you if you can help mold that into a positive direction. If you're struggling with your kids, if you're, you're struggling with grief, and acceptance. If your child is struggling with grief, you'll get to the other side of it if you really keep working at it. You really can. You really can have wonderful relationships. We didn't have to have it, but it may take lots of therapy. It may take medications. It may take a kid getting over the angst of what in the world am I going to do and you getting over that angst. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't all have to be some of the stories we hear, which my heart breaks for. And sometimes there is a lot of damage, a lot of brain damage, let's just call it what it is, you can still come out with a blessed relationship. It may look really different than what other people have, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be additive to both your your life and your child's life. And you just can't give up. You alter the dreams. That's all. You just alter them. And don't we all have to do that? Yeah. I mean, Natalie, you and I both altered our dreams along the way a million times, right? I never thought I'd be a podcaster <laughs> living out in the middle of our country. <laughs> I never thought I'd be a homeschooler. Like, oh my I ever wanted to do it in my life. I cried so many over that. And yet, you know, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me my in my life for my personal growth. And then everything I'm doing now sort of surrounds homeschooling. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, the things that you sometimes get pulled to kicking and screaming yeah. um, turned out to be the most amazing experiences. Yes. If you're still listening to us, because we also love to chat, I should have said that at the beginning of our episode, (laughs) Cindy and I love to talk, but we thank you so much for joining us on this Christmas episode that we're calling gifts for your journey. If you're ever in the Montrose, Colorado area, please go to Buckaroos slices and scoops for me. Cindy, thank you again for being on this gift-filled episode. Oh, thank you, Natalie. Um, My only prayer is that somebody out there, even if it's just one person, here's something that they can take away from this that makes it a little easier. Yes. Or that reassures them, "You're, you're really okay. Take a deep breath. You're okay. And we also pray that you find the joy in this season and in this celebration of the birth of Christ and, and of this new year that's coming that we have hope in. Um, and, and just, again, don't lose hope. We know how challenging it is. And we are here on this journey. If you want to reach out to us, you can certainly visit FASDhope.com and you can reach out to us, visit Cindy on her website or visit her through Blue Collar Homeschool. On behalf of Cindy and I, we just want to wish you a blessed and a Merry Christmas. 
And thank you so much for joining us today and have hope and embrace the joy in your life. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.